You're listening to The Bat Project. I'm your co-host and unashamed bibliophile, Rhonda Elizabeth. And I am your co-host, Aaron Stallworth. This week, along with the beautiful cicadas of D.C., we're bringing to our podcast our maple top. Them motherfuckers humming, Rhonda. You got you got to suffer for for five minutes. Them damn cicadas. No, we are keeping the cicadas in this recording for posterity posterity and empathy, so people understand what we wake up to every morning. Every morning, these cicadas are on their damn job. We yeah, digress. I, I, I just fl- <laughs> I just flicked three of them off of my pants uh, this morning and afternoon. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. All right. Okay. Our book club TDPB reading is another cicada-free space to explore the people and ideas that we discuss in our podcast: education, politics, family, justice, and culture. We read classics like *The Miseducation of the Negro* and new contributions to the canon like Alicia Garza's The Purpose of Power. This is book talk number four. We are champions. Yes, we are. We recognize that not everyone is on the gram. So to expand access, we're bringing the talks here to the podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this particular talk on Breathe. We absolutely loved being in conversation with our guests, Brittany White and Dr. Linda McGee. Breathe really transformed them as mothers and helped them to develop a new outlook on their parenting. Join us for the June selection, a pair of books by James Baldwin. That's two slender volumes, The Fire Next Time and Nothing Personal. These are two powerful essays that speak to this moment and every moment that the United States is the United States. Our June book talk will be on Sunday, June 27th on Instagram Live. We've dropped some of our favorite independent bookstores in the show notes that we hope you will support. Remember to subscribe to our newsletter at thedepproject.com and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars. Five stars. Resistance is a highway with many lanes. We hope you find yours. Take care, folks. Enjoy the book talk. So I want to welcome the folks who are coming into the room to join us here on the DAP Project for our book talk on Breathe. TDPB Reading. TD, what? TDPB Reading. <laughs> Fantastic. So for folks who are just joining, the DAP Project is a podcast that explores politics and culture through the lens of DAP, which means we talk about politics and culture with Black people, Black men, Black women, Black people. And we have a book club called TDP Be Reading. Aaron, do you want to tell us about the origin of our book club? Yes, we started the podcast back in, I don't know, March of 2020. Uh, pandemic hit, so it uh, made things a little bit different for us to have a topic of DAP, but, and we wanted to have a different avenue of ways to reach out to the people that uh, love the DAP project, and I know Rhonda was an a avid reader. She loves books. I like books, but I'm not an avid reader, and I was like, but you're think, getting there. let me think of an excuse to become an avid reader. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's start a book club. So these two co-hosts will have even more in common. And now we do, uh, as we have read four books now, 
Uh, first, first book. You know, I love to go through the books we've read. The first book. You do. Book, you love to first book. Miseducation of the Negro, Black History Month, February. Uh, the Purpose of Power, uh, Lisa Garza, March. The Marathon Don't Stop, Lifetimes <laughs> of Nipsey Hussle. The Marathon Continues. And this month, as we all just held up a second ago, Breathe by Monty Perry. So look at that man reading with all them books. Check me out, y'all. I, I got I got books behind me. I need to get into, but right now they kind of for show. Sure. You got uh, books on books <laughs> on books. So we came together uh, for May to talk about Breathe, a love letter from Imani Perry to her sons. And Aaron, this was really your. It was actually it was your choice to talk about mothers in May. Do you want to talk a little bit about why you wanted to talk about mothers in May? Well, we are the DAP Project, and the DAP Project explores the black, man, black man's most nuanced and telling gesture. Um, but at the genesis of all black men is a black woman or a woman. And as, as we celebrated Mother's Day in May, I was like, why don't we make May be a month to, as we celebrate women and celebrate mothers? And why not do that uh, by reading a book dedicated to motherhood. And Dr. Monty Perry's book is definitely that. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Dr. Perry is a professor. She has actually a lot of interests. She has a background in both law, African-American studies, and English, and she's published six books. Earlier this year, I read Looking for Lorraine, a book about Lorraine Hansberry and Lorraine Hansberry's radical tradition and um, role in the civil rights movement and the black, early black arts movement, and then Breathe. And so I was excited to read Breathe because it was written similarly to Ta-Nehisi Coates' letter to his son, Between the World and Me, but it's written from the perspective of a black mother. So when we were thinking about our guests for this month and how we would uh, talk about this incredible book, I thought about two people. And when I shared them with Aaron, he was like, bet, let's bring them on. So we have with us today uh, Dr. Linda McGee, Linda Fleming McGee, who is a psychologist and a mom of a recent graduate. Congratulations. Yay, Congratulations. Yes, just came out of <laughs> University of Maryland. So she has a Terp graduate. Yay, yay, and yay, then we yay. <laughs> She's super excited. And then we also have Brittany White, who's on the other end of the spectrum of motherhood with two little guys, Caleb and Logan. So I know Linda, socially, we have mutual friends. I had the pleasure of knowing Brittany first as a parent. Her sons attended a school where I worked, and I was just really, really taken by how she invests so much into her boys, and they are just hilarious little people, two completely different personalities. Um, and just being a friend to her as she goes through this journey of motherhood and raising two black boys, two very curious, fun-loving black boys has been really great. And so between Linda and Aaron as a black son and Brittany on as a mom, we're going to have a great conversation both about the book, Breathe. But then also, we really want to hear from, um, from Brittany and Linda about what lessons you're learning, what you took from the book about uh, raising your children, what you might share to other folks who are listening or who will listen to 
this uh, this podcast talking about motherhood because everybody wants to know, you know, how do I raise my black children, my black sons in this particular environment um, in this day and age, and you all are doing it or have done it. So, yeah, it was it was so interesting to me too as well, Rhonda, in thinking about I've never thought about a reflection on motherhood. You know, I grew up. I'm 44 years old. I've had a mother for 44 years, and I've never thought about what she thought she thinks about raising myself and my brother, who's two years older than me. And in reading uh, Imani's Dr. Perry's book, it really made me feel like I had insights into what motherhood was. And I'm very curious to hear from uh, Brittany and Linda about how they related to it, or if they related to it, and in what ways. Because I can imagine if my mom were to write a book, a lot of what Dr. Perry wrote would probably come out in her voice as well. So, Aaron, you have a question that we ask all of our guests that we're Mm -hmm. going to put to Brittany and Linda with a a little nuance to it. Yes, each of our guests uh, mostly have been men, but uh, some have not. Uh, We ask, tell us about your first experience with death. And I'm specifically curious about if you as mothers give death to your sons, but I'm also curious to know if DAP exists within your circle of friends or, or if you use DAP as well. Because we claim it as the black man's nuance and telling gesture, but tell us how it exists in your life as well. Linda, you want to start? Well, I guess I'm, I'm, when I saw that question, I was like, I really wasn't sure about what you meant. Like, do you mean like a salutation or... I'm just going to keep it's, real. I don't really know what you mean. Okay. We appreciate that. We appreciate that. We're, we're definitely here to, to spread light on that. But that okay. is just that, that clasp of the hands that you oh. see men do, and they sometimes it ends up with a hug at the at the end, and a little might be a little snap or something like that you've probably have seen okay. uh, here and there, usually amongst men, but I was, we're, we're just curious if, if it Well, may. I just wanted to model, like, when you don't know, ask. Um, because... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because I didn't, I'm not gonna, I'm not the one to be babbling with. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's what I thought you meant. Absolutely. And you know, I have seven brothers, and I have you know a, a, a family that I married into that's all boys, and um, I married the youngest of three sons, and I have a son, and I have the only boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I see them do that greeting. I'm more the hug and kiss and Mm -hmm. laughs and giggles person so i personally don't do it but the men in my family do okay right um i'm I'm like the first girl of 17 boys and i will often see it like when i was a child my older cousins as just like a gesture between them and their friends or you know whenever encounter each other Mm. yeah so that can also mean I see you, like mm-hmm. I feel you, we're, we're one, like we're here. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. in that way, do you feel like you dap up your sons? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when I would pick them up, I would always try to like have my phone off, have my, you know, self really present at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's it. You get the real juice when they first get in the car. Mm-hmm. You don't get any mm-hmm. juice two hours later. Right. So I would always make sure I would look him in the eye, ask him about his day and just be present and not be yakking on the phone or anything like that. Um, Also, like I used to try to like meet him at night, you know, like, you know, like if I would come in before I'd go to bed, he'd be in another part of the house. But to go seek him out each and every day, not to like 
just go do my own thing that like to really just focus in on him so let's turn down to the book and talk about what we liked about this reading, your initial reactions. And Linda, last night you texted me and said, this book is, is hard. Mm -hmm. What were some of your initial reactions to reading Dr. Perry's work? So I'm working on a lot on trauma for, for mm -hmm. my own book and mm -hmm. some other things. And so this book was just in a, in a week of where I've been presenting on trauma, working on trauma, thinking about working with an agent on trauma. This was a lot because it just felt like it was, um, you know, the last thing, right? Mm -hmm. So um, what I loved about it was the fact that it, she's lyrical, right? I mean, mm -hmm. she's lyrical yes. in her pain. I mean, it, it has verb. It has connections to things that you would have never bought together. Um, she loves her boys deep mm -hmm. in a place that, you know, and she is ferocious for them, yeah. right? Uh, you, you get the sense that, you know, she would stand in front of a train without pause. Um, but, you know, it's about trauma. And so, like, because of the year and a half that we've all, or a couple of years or even 402 years that we've all experienced, this is tough, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I have to say that I got a little bit further after I sent you that text, and I got to the point where she some of the things really, really resonated deep with me about um, not focusing so much with your kids on achievement, focusing on character, um, mm -hmm. not having that be the thing by which you judge all of your esteem on, like your achievement. Mm -hmm. And just the thought that she understands that you can raise and you can pray, but at some point you have to release. So I love the fly part because one of the things that I've been thinking of in the aftermath of George Floyd and all these things is that we've told them to hunker down and to avoid and to not make themselves big. And I, I honestly don't think that's all. I don't, I'm not there anymore. You know, and I keep telling my son, fly free. <laughs> no. That's all I've been saying the last few weeks is like, just fly. You know, mm -hmm. you might as well fly your own flight. Because no. you're going to undergo trauma. You're going to undergo this world. But you might as well fly your own flight and not hunker down to try mm -hmm. to avoid. You know, mm -hmm. so I love that part of, of what she had to say. Um, but it's a hard book. You know, because mm -hmm. she's saying all of the things that she's she's been raised with. She's talking about epigenetics, the trauma that goes through generations. So it's 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 not an easy book. And I, I want I'm really curious to hear what Brittany thought initially with younger kids. Yeah, right. and Brittany, tell us, remind everybody um, how old Caleb and Logan are now. So Caleb and Logan are eight and nine now, and. Um, I felt like the book, again, it was hard. I, I recommended it to all my friends, whether they had sons or not, just for, I'm like, if you're a black yep. parent, you should read it. Um, <laughs> but it was definitely difficult, and it had me, in a sense, um, almost questioning myself. And, like, I've always told you, like, this is a very, you know, even when Caleb was four and five years old, I'm like, you know, I don't, this is my first time, you know, raising a person. And I'm learning as they're learning. And I, I just, I want to do it right. 
um, whatever right is or whatever our opinion of what right is. But um, it's just like, I don't know all the answers. And that's why I often seek um, advice, whether it is from books or mentors or other parents about how to go about it. And I know every child is different, but um, I appreciate, I did appreciate her use of words. I love words. Um, yeah. But again, just touching on like her methods and the things she spoke on, it did kind of hit me the way I'm like, hmm, well, am I, if, I, if I'm not doing this this way, am I not doing it right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, in a sense of just what's best for them. Because mm -hmm. it's, raising kids in and of itself is hard. Um, well, I think somebody told me actually, like, being an active parent is hard. If you just have children, that's not hard at all. You can have them and drop them off and do whatever you want to do with them. But, like, raising actual children, I feel like I'm ultimately responsible for the fathers and the husbands that they become. And reading her book and then comparing it to, like, what I do with my own children and their own personalities, yeah, it was definitely difficult. But I feel like I will, it's a book I would probably continue to read um, it's so many books I've read multiple times. This is like a book I would probably have to go back to and read again mm -hmm. as you get older, as I get older, as things, circumstances change, um, just for continuing um, insight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Linda, you're so right. Both of y'all make, make great points. But Linda, when you say she uh, she's lyrical, I mean, when you think of great lyrics, whether it be music or poetry, the lyrics of this book and how uh, Dr. Perry just tapped into the essence of what it is to be a parent and be a mother and to have sons or have, just have children. Um, it, just, it just hit me over the head multiple times. I was just talking to Rhonda before we got on the talk about how many pages I've folded down and how many highlights and brackets I've made, uh, more so than any of the other books we've read or I've read in the past because she, she is just so lyrical and you, you can't help but think about what she's saying. And one piece toward the end of the, um, the book, this is page 142, she said, you are descended from people who didn't go north when others did. People who stayed in the thick of violence and history. They made it by virtue of labor and wits, ring shouts and cosmograms, and always knowing more than they let on. This known life is one that isn't a steadily perfect ascent to new heights of something that is called the American dream but it's really a cruel escape hatch that only takes a few. Mm -hmm. And when she said only takes a few, I thought about, you know, people trying, as, as we parent our children, we want them to reach those new heights, but we know that, that everyone does not, does not get there. And, and, and that is always our challenge and our, and our prayer that our kids do make it to those new heights. Well, Right, and that's one thing that, you know, I mentioned earlier that I think um, is really on your mind about how to connect the, the dream, the American dream to your boys specifically. They've traveled all over the world. They've had lots of interesting experiences. They've eaten, you know, lots of different food. And, you know, you really nurture their interests. Can you talk a little bit about how you decide to to expose them to different places and different things. And then they have these completely different responses that you know, <laughs> like they're on this amazing trip and they're like, yeah, but can we go eat some pizza? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a little so, bit 
Go ahead, Brittany. Go ahead. You go. Oh ahead. no, go ahead. Um. Well. So, Caleb and Logan, my husband, he passed away when they were very young. Um, he was a victim of gun violence in D.C. And I know that some of the things we've always spoke about as parents was, you know, we always wanted to expose, like, expose them to things beyond their surroundings. Um, and just growing up in a capacity in which I grew up, I always knew, like, I didn't want my children to be anything like any of the guys in my family, which not to say speak bad on them, but I just always wanted them to be better. Um, so growing up, I felt like it only made sense if I didn't get to experience these things or the things that I didn't like about my growing up, I changed when I had my own children. Um, so since they were three and four, I got their passports and, you know, everywhere I go, they go and just try to just introduce them to like different cultures and different experiences. And I'm spending like last year before COVID, I planned to take them to China because um, I really wanted to go. But then they also like really into like um, what's those cartoons, anime, anime. and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted them to like get in the get in the field and see the people, taste the food. Um, but I'll take them places and I'm like, oh, we're having the time of our lives. And they're like, uh, oh, <laughs> I'm like, did you guys have fun? They're like, um, but we didn't get ice cream. And I'm like, but you got everything else. Yeah. Like you got a trip, you got an experience. And they're like, but, but we didn't get ice cream. And like I said, Caleb and Logan are so different. Um, like night and day, literally. So it's like, I feel like I probably never win because you can't please one without disappointing the other. Like, like not, they're like really not easily impressed at all. So, it was okay. Good night, nice try, mom. <laughs> Just like that. Linda, you, know, you were about to say something? Go ahead. One of the reasons why I was so excited this week was because my son was excited. Because. <laughs> And, you know, he was like, can we leave and go take pictures at the graduation early? Can we go to a park? And I was like, who is this boy who just shrugged the 19th grandchild in, in my family and mm -hmm. who just shrugged about everything? But, you know, what I learned is that a lot of that had to do with me. So, like, I'm kind of Brittany, Rhonda, all of y'all, I'm, I'm kind of raising myself and, and raising him. Because the old timey, my parents and their parents, they say you got to die to self, right? So it's mm. like, it's not all about my expectations now. And so like, as opposed to when I had them, Brittany's kids age, it was all about like, they need to do this and they need to do that. And now I'm just sort of like, and people are telling me conflicting stuff. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to follow him and what he wants to do. So like when he talks to me regarding grad school, people have contrary opinions, but I'm like, Y'all, I'm getting behind him. So that's one of the things that I've learned while parenting. And I see, like in Imani's book, how she's evolving. Because she mm -hmm. had these certain things in her head. Mm -hmm. And then it just doesn't happen. Or it doesn't mm -hmm. happen the way you want. Like, you know, can I remember... I, can I interrupt with uh -huh, the page? There's a quote that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. On page 115, uh -huh. she says, I think I am orchestrating your futures as I parent. But the truth is, you teach me who you are much better 
then I teach you who I think you should be. You have insisted I listen as an act of care, even when I want to preach and profess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just, I mean, you just saw these little creatures start to develop. And she started to chronicle that development. You know, where one of them is real spiritual, you know, and that just really rang with me because I just remember one time my little kid said to me, Mom, so-and-so looks depressed. And so he's real attuned to people. So he's like a little budding psychologist, even though he's not there. He's not mm -hmm. in that field. But he yeah. always was attuned. And I'm like, is this little kid is six years old telling mm -hmm. me that the cafeteria lady looks depressed. Mm -hmm. Or he'd say mm -hmm. like, Mom, they need you. Like meaning they need my expertise. Right, mm -hmm. you know, so like this little person, I was not thinking about this little person, and so neither was Amani. But they're mm -hmm. showing her who they are and what they're becoming, and then you have to somehow put your mothering around that, yeah. right? Of who they're becoming, as opposed to like in my practice, I say the child in your dreams, right? You got a parent, mm -hmm. the child is in front of you. Not the one that's mm. <laughs> this yeah. in your head, right? Yeah. And I think that's Amani is saying that in a much more lyrical way than me, but <laughs> that's what she's saying. Yeah. yeah. Aaron, you have something one you want to add over there? I hear the amen corner. Oh, you hear me over there? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I talked to my mom uh, two days ago. We talked for about an hour. And we were just reflecting on, on so much. We were reflecting on, I have a niece who actually took a class from Dr. Perry at Princeton who just graduated. And we're, we're reflecting on her and her trajectory on, in life and what her plans are versus what her parents may have thought her plans were and what my plans were for life when I was in my 20s and what my actual trajectory of life became and how she just did start to just embrace and support who I wanted to become versus who she felt I should be. And she, she consciously started doing that. That actually came up in our conversation we had a couple of days ago. So that's why I'm over here in the amen corner. Like, I hear you. I hear you, doctor. <laughs> you know, one thing that also resonated with me about this book is how open Dr. Perry is with her sons mm. about the people she met in life, whether it was um, an uncle whom she never met, Boots, who died as a young child, or some of the younger guys who she met and stayed in her mind, or some of the experiences that she had. She talks about taking care of um, a little friend at the playground who had um, an, uh, an arrhythmic heartbeat and some of her challenges in school and, and growing up and going to camp. So that got me wondering about the level of honesty that you extend to your child. And I know it will change over time. Like, you know, as they get older, you may, you may tell them more things, but just that general idea. So I'm really curious to hear how you think about how much do I tell my child about my childhood, about how I was growing up and the things that, that I did. Well, for me, I know we talked, I told you immediately, like, once I started getting into the book about this, I'm like, oh, my God, she shared so much for her, her children. And then it's like, um, in the book, okay, so her children are, are grown now, or they're older now, so it's just like, I'm wondering, did she share this? Like, at what point do you share, you know, certain tidbits of information? I know often, like, my kids, they just don't realize how privileged they are sometimes. So I have to remind them, like, you know, 
when I was a kid, like we didn't have our own room, we didn't have all the luxuries that you guys have because it really bothers me sometimes how unappreciative it comes off. Um, mm -hmm. But even in the sense, like, you know, we're from DC and now I'm in Georgia and we live in a predominantly like, white neighborhood. And <laughs> <laughs> you worse than that, Brittany. Because <laughs> they used to the room. And it's like, I, I want to tell them things and I want to share things with them because they have no idea how evil this world can be. They have no idea that sometimes people who are not from our ethnic background can be crazy and they would smile in your face. But, you know, like, they've run into um, a very difficult experience and they don't translate it the way we translate it. I don't know if you remember one time. Do you remember um, Rhonda when Caleb said he wanted to be white? And then you was I like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it was like something a kid would say and not something we was thinking. Um, yeah. But, you know, they have I have these neighbors and the way the dad and the mom act towards them, they don't really understand it. And mm -hmm. I don't know if I really want to share with them just yet because Logan still believes in Santa Claus. And <laughs> I told you, I'm I can help him out. I'm just yeah. not ready to take, you know, that innocence from them yeah. just yet. So it's like, I want to expose them to things because they keep running around this neighborhood. We're in the woods. And I'm like, y'all don't know Well, grab you up and put you in a truck and help them for you. But I don't want them to be resentful. I don't want them to be fearful. I don't want them to be hateful. Um, especially because, you know, due to the surroundings at the moment, like, it, it's a lot, you know, I don't want to look at the kids sideways or look at, you know, so I, mm -hmm. I struggle with that. And I just don't know at what point, when do you start to open up? Like, we, I was telling them something about Michael Ferguson, and they just was like, well, that could be true. Like, why would the police do that? Because mm -hmm. I was watching a documentary, um, and they kind of walked in, and they yeah. were like, well, they wouldn't just do it for no reason. Like, why would the police do that? Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, baby. Yeah. So it's just like, just trying to figure out at what point and how much do you share. And um, Amani, she was really transparent with them. and she, But she did it in a way that didn't seem like it was detrimental to their upbringing. But again, I don't know at what point she shared certain information, only mm -hmm. what, what she's sharing now. Mm -hmm. I, I have to admit that that was the part of the book that made me the most uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and um, because, you know, developmentally, like I said, we have, people have ways that they parent. And, and, I, and I make no judgments about any of them, including Imani's. But I do think that you have to take into consideration just where they are developmentally, um, how old they are, because those two things are sometimes different. Because you could have a young ten-year-old and a ten-year-old who's like seventy-four. I mean, in his head, you had that, Brittany. Actually, yep, that's and, um, you know, and you have some kids that that just crush, right? If yeah, you like have right. that conversation with them at eight, you know, um, you know, the world is coming. Okay, that's why I tell mm -hmm. my clients: you sitting there trying to prophylactically or preventative in a preventive way, trying to warn them about the world. And that scientifically doesn't work, mm -hmm. right? It just doesn't work. So like, my thing is you gotta do a mix. You gotta do a mix of um, telling them about some things. You gotta do a mix of them discovering some things and then you help them putting that situation into context. 
um, you got to do a mix of building that child up because all of the processing of trauma has to come through the love, nurture, built up, self-esteem lens. Those are the parents who are most successful navigating their child through it. Nurture, nurture, nurture. Some of the things that we tell because of our trauma is, uh, you know, it's not helpful. It's not helpful to tell a child you got to be twice as good. It's just not. Because mm -hmm. the thing is, twice as good as what? I mean, you know, that's just setting up, like you're setting your child up to think that he can't do things. So you like work on them. I'm feeling good about themselves on the inside. You talk to them about their people. You have them have a, you, you know, no matter where you live or what school they go to, you have them immersed in their own culture. At some point, it might be in Boy Scouts, it might be at church, but you do those things to build a child up, and then, then you help them process trauma and race in the world. I'm not saying you don't never talk about it, mm -hmm. but, you know, like, I, I had a kid in my office whose parents were um, civil rights people, mm -hmm. and that's all they talked about, yeah. right? And it's right. <laughs> No, right. <laughs> you, know, you have to put it into some context. You have to let them grow up and learn gradually. And so it's, you can't prevent racism by just talking about it. It's interesting that you bring that up, Linda, now. And Brittany, that's something that you and I were side chatting about uh, last week. So we're approaching the one year anniversary of George Floyd's murder. Mm -hmm. Derek Chauvin was just convicted, um, mm -hmm. and that trial played out publicly. Perry talks about her sons being aware of Trayvon Martin and Troy Davis. So if your sons approach you with questions, and particularly for you, Brittany, if Caleb or Logan were to ask you, who is George Floyd, or uh, what are they talking about protests? Um, those kinds of things, like how do you think that you would answer them or have they been super present and watching the media as it unfolds or how have they been processing the, the past year from their elementary school vantage point? Well, um, I did follow the trial, so they would often kind of be in the room, like especially um, during like the last few days of the trial, the verdict and things like that. And I think they're just oblivious like to what's actually happening. But they did ask the question about like, you know, why is so everyone happy that somebody is going to jail? Mm -hmm. um, so I had to, me and my friend, we actually explained to them like, you know, he hurt, you know, he hurt this person. He he put his, his knees on his chest, you know, and um, I don't think it, unfortunately, I feel like they've experienced so much death at such a young age, like starting with their dad being the first man that they have ever lost, and then their uncle, and then in December, my brother was shot and killed um, in D.C., so it's like, it's almost to a point, I wouldn't say that they're numb to it, but children just process things differently. Um, and when it came to the trial and the, I mean, not the but the the verdict reading, 
Like they were like, well, why would why would you guys be happy that he's going to jail? And I'm like, well, you know, he hurt a man. Um, he, the police are supposed to protect us and serve us. Um, they're not supposed to kill you. They're not supposed to hurt you. And I don't think I think there's definitely a disconnect um, right now, presently, just with them like understanding like the full picture of what's going on and. Again, I'm just not sure when to like cross that bridge with them, um, because it's a the year in and of itself has been so difficult, right? And mm -hmm. it's so much going on, and then it's like they're they literally like connected that in those minutes to the situation within the, their own family, like with my brother getting killed and the person, you know, possibly being let free, and it was just like confusion already so um i haven't figured out a, a tasteful or i guess appropriate way to like address it um just yet yeah. Yeah. dr perry says my poor child you know intuitively that there are far far more Troy davises than obamas you're yeah. too you're too smart for the surface to believe to ever last Sweet gets too sweet and turns bitter. It sticks and goes thick like cotton candy. So that, that kind of spoke to it. I, I mean, I, th I think about that. We always have the Obama who's totally on a pedestal, you know, totally reached the pinnacle of what, what you can achieve in America. Uh, but there are so many people in between Obama and Troy Davis that, uh, that we don't focus on and we can make the world look like it's only Troy Davis's or only George Floyd's. We want to we want to honor and respect that we do have corrupt systems. We do have issues with uh, police officers. We do have issues with racism. Um, but making our children know that it's not either or, and that there's so much in between the Obamas and the Davises that that we have to let them know that they are aware of and, and do exist, and are your uncles and friends and and, and coworkers and whatnot through life. Um, so that's what maybe that's what came to mind uh, with you speaking there, Brittany. Um, it's it's a full story. It's yeah. their history. It's their family. It's the struggles. It's their potential. You gotta weave it all in. And mm -hmm. Brittany, I want to say to you though, um, they hear you, whether they're giving you a reaction or not. They're taking in all the information that you're giving, and they're processing it. So it's not even if they don't give you a reaction, it's it's there. You just may not always see it. Um, Dr. Perry says on page 44 in this section on fear, which we're kind of talking about, she says, um, feeling deep love and complete helplessness to protect the beloved is a fact of black life. Mm -hmm. And that speaks to trauma. So Linda, we're in Mental Health Awareness Month and having raised a son, a black son and graduated, but you also work so closely with young people and you pay attention to mental health and you pay attention to how to cope. So can you share with us some of the strategies that can help families feel less hopeless or helpless and more empowered to invest and nurture their child's mental health? So if your kids come to you for with questions, I suggest you answer them, right? Um, but you do so in a way that doesn't overwhelm them. So you, like I said, it's the whole picture. I personally, because of the last year or so, I have stopped watching so much media 
Because every time you see Trayvon's face on TV, you're traumatizing yourself. And you're traumatizing your children. Every time you see George Floyd, you're traumatizing yourself. You're watching a black man be murdered on, on national TV over a nine-minute span. So, like, I am telling people, and I myself, because I'm taking care of people, so that's another layer, I am watching my media. So I'm advising parents whose kids seem to be feeling it, who seem to be depressed, who feel hopeless, to um, treat, watch what you're taking into your system. Also, taking care of yourself, right? The, there's two antidotes to trauma, Right. One is self-care and the other is justice, right? And so that's what the race trauma, that's what the white trauma specialists don't talk about. They talk about coping with trauma. They don't talk about the fact that seeking justice is a part of taking care of yourself if you're black, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what she said in the book, something to the effect of uh, life isn't fair, but you spend a lot of time trying to make it more fair. Right? <laughs> and at mm, some point in time yeah. in the book. Um, but you take care of yourself. You watch what you eat. You you understand parents understanding that they're traumatized. Because I get mm -hmm. a lot of black people that call in when I'm doing trainings. It's like that's not my experience. So, you know, it's a lot of denial. Right? And so like then when you're parenting, how are you parenting if you are thinking that you're walking through America completely unscathed by race so that is reflected in your parenting so just accepting it taking care of yourselves and women understanding that the myth of the strong black woman is just that and we need to like take care of our bodies and our minds and our spirits and a part of that is that i figured out is valuing yourself because you have to say, well, you know, I value myself so much that I'm going to let those two little boys stay in aftercare half an hour while I go walk, you know, mm -hmm. and because we're so pulled as women to be that perfect mother and to be the perfect wife, and we're not taking care of ourselves. So, you know, to take care of yourself and be encouraging your children to do the same thing. I, I think that Imani is lovely in getting her kids involved as they are older. You know, mm -hmm. getting them, bringing them on. If your kid asks to go to a march, you know, talk to them about going to a march. Talk to them about things that you can do other than marching, right? <laughs> uh, you know, so, and you know, talk to them about what's happening at school when things are happening to classmates. All these ways, including the sleeping, the eating, the exercising, and making sure your kid is not on Zoom all day, are all ways to, to take care of yourself, your family, and help you cope. That reminds me, Britt, and your tagline when we were introducing you, um, I highlighted that you were a globetrotter because you have different trips lined up to here, there, and everywhere, this Caribbean place and that Caribbean place. So that reminds me of the ways that you're trying to take care of yourself because this year has been really difficult with two young children um, on Zoom all day or not on Zoom all day. How did you handle the, the stress of the children being out of school for periods of time? And please feel free to say, hey, you know what? There's just work that we didn't do because that didn't work mm -hmm. for us. Well, mm -hmm. um. You know how I feel about school, so 
it was just not really an option as much as it did frustrate me at times um to have to because i worked i was working from home um and then trying to manage and there was so many they were trying so many different techniques in the beginning um and so they didn't put get it quite down packed until the following school year but just like dealing with them being signed in online and that adjustment um it was frustrating because it's like at first it was like oh this cool little thing that the kids wanted to do and then slowly but surely they was like i i don't want to do this like um <laughs> i'm gonna put up my laptop but i'm not gonna <laughs> be attentive in class um so like just balancing work and i work at the department of employment services so the unemployment cases were like mm. coming at me like the matrix yeah. and i'm trying yeah. to like duck and dodge and <laughs> deal with you know um family issues and still keep them on track even as like right now like um like she said like just taking that time i used to try to go to the gym before i stopped work but now i literally have to sometimes put caleb right here um, so I can watch him in class. And Logan, he's a little bit more diligent when it comes to that. But like, <laughs> Caleb will very quickly, like he'll very quickly um, get bored and decide that he wants to do his own thing. And he's really like a do my own thing type of kid. Very so like, self directed. Stop, stop going to the gym um, in the mornings so that I could sit here and he can sit there and we can both do our now we're, we're, we're classmates i'm working you're working and we're gonna get <laughs> you got a new co-worker <laughs> yeah we're gonna get it done like no questions and until we don't have to do it no we're gonna do what we gotta do until we don't gotta do it as we turn to um close out i have two questions and you can answer which whichever question most resonates with you um how did the book change you or and or what did the book teach you about raising your black sons whether they are little eight and nine year olds or whether you're moving into a very different stage of parenting them as a young adult ish adolescent however you want to describe uh darian's age um i think the i was evolving along this way and then i read this book i want to say more to him about what I think and feel about him um, to him because I, I lost my mother and father in the last three years mm. and uh, of sibling so like three deaths in three years and mm. I am thinking that I want to say more I want to you know like I think I'm going to do a little video about how I felt about him graduating from college and I want to yeah. see him him to see me like not when I'm old trying to do that like yeah. oh, I want to do that now, so and I want so I want to write to him more and say more to him, right about him, and and that's what Amani does. She is really telling there with them and sharing and talking and processing, and I think that I want to be more of a emotive, um, forthright mom to him, right? Not just have him assume. That he knows that we love him, but to just, you know, write down some things, record some things so that mm -hmm. long time from now, he'll have that, mm -hmm. you know, That's and he can look back yeah. at it. That's beautiful. Um, I would say the same. It definitely um, let me know that it is okay to be more vocal with them. 
again, I'm so like protected. And people tell me like, your children are so sheltered. And I'm like, I'd rather them be sheltered than, you know, the alternative. <laughs> they don't know what you've been through. <laughs> right. So it's like, um, it let me know that like, you know, it's okay. And again, like I always say, I'm, I am growing with them. Um, and it gave me insight to like, you know, include things that I might not have done prior to um, in regards to like that transparency and having them so involved. Um, and I do, I do feel like, so my son, Caleb, he is, he was like born 50. So he really was. So like, he was he born was like, with a wallet and a social security card. <laughs> <laughs> and like and an alarm clock. Like he's just so, he's like so old. And um, I did the uh, love language quiz on him and <laughs> he scored a zero at physical test. <laughs> and that, that is true. He never is though because it. He does not like hugs. Like he tells me all the time, the only people I will hug is my my grandmother, but he calls her grandma. Um, the only people I will hug is grandma because she's old. Um, <laughs> and but like outside of that, he's not like a touchy, feely person. But he's becoming a little bit more open to it as he gets older. But like I feel like the book taught me like, girl, get a boy a hug, and if he complain, like no matter what he's thinking or saying, like in his heart, I feel like he's receiving it. Get off of me. Um, mm -hmm. And just like, and more affectionate with them. But Logan, on the other hand, he's like the most affectionate kid I've ever seen. Yes. Like, his he's smile like, is he's like a, a puppy. Hug. Like when you walk in the door, he's jumping up and down. He wants, like, <laughs> so it's like, um, <laughs> man, these kids, they're so different. But um, it did let me know, like, you know, just do what you want to do. Like, go ahead and do it. And he's feeling it. Like you said, he might not say anything or he might not react to it, but he feels it. Because I try I try to, like, not... Caleb's like a kid you don't want to bother. So it's like, I try to give him his space. Um, but as he getting, he's getting older, I don't want him to go through, like, life feeling like, you know, oh, I hate the world. Like, you know, like, oh, yeah. it's so boring. <laughs> 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 Aaron Harvey, how did the book change you? Because you really loved it. I loved the book. I fell in love with Imani Perry. Um, but she, it. <laughs> he's like, I love her. I love her, Rhonda. <laughs> Imani, I, Aaron loves you. <laughs> but it, it, I, I think what's interesting about it is that, you know, boys love their mothers, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we love them like nothing else in the world. But we love them because of all they give to us and all they, they are to us. But reading this book, it like it, it peeled back the layer. It's like to the why you've been giving all that to us. And I, we don't think about the why. We just know you do it because you're our mom. Mm -hmm. And reading that book to know to, to kind of feel the why. And like I said, I know if my mom wrote this book, some of the same words would probably be coming from her, uh, like uh, Imani Perry uh, did for her boys. Um, that's what I got from it as, as, a, as a son. Um, and that's what I love about the book, and that's why I love Imani Perry. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Linda and Brittany, for joining us and being so honest and and generous with your lessons, your lessons that you got from school or from parenting. 
And this conversation will be uploaded to our podcast. So if you would like people to find you on the socials, take a few seconds and let people know um, where they can find you and why they might reach out to you. Um, hi, I'll just say mine first. Um, you can reach out to me um, at uh, Dr. Underscore, uh, Linda underscore McGee one on Instagram, or you can reach me at the Dr. Linda at drlmcgee.com. And I'm open for speaking engagements around race, trauma, mental health, um, any African-American experience in, in terms of education. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and you guys can find me at bombbrit on Instagram. Um, I'm a makeup artist, but I'm also, I also document like, you know, my mom, my momism, my traveling, <laughs> my weight loss journey, and then also kind of just speaking to like things I do to um, take care of myself in regards to like all the grief and loss that I've experienced. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, hit me up. And you're doing an amazing job of being Absolutely. vulnerable and being resilient. So we're super proud of you. Erin, well, we're reading more books. We are definitely reading more books. And I just want to say before we say what the books are, we incredi incredibly appreciate you both uh, for joining us on the DAP Project. Uh, you, Thank you, you for having you. us. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you poured into us, and we look forward to sharing sharing this with others, sharing little clips of uh, all the, the jewels and tidbits you all dropped during this talk uh, on the DAP Project. Uh, so thank you so much. And Rhonda. Yes. Our book. Oh, you want me to? Oh, yes. Our, 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 our June book. Our June book. Our so June. we're going to yeah. con um, continue with this theme of, um, of letter writing. And in the past year, even though this writer is evergreen and always um, a member of the canon and worth reading, we are turning to James Baldwin and we're reading The Fire Next Time in which he writes a letter to his nephew. It is his critique of race and racism and uh, the hypocrisy of the American story and The Fire Next Time, very well known and written book. Um, it may have been, have been a while since you've read it. And we're going to accompany that with a second set of essays called Nothing Personal. So I'm going to hold the books like this in case yes. people. Yes, in, <laughs> case you have, in case you have reader's anxiety like I do. These, this is a total of 180 pages between the two books. So join us uh, in reading uh, James Baldwin's Nothing Personal and James Baldwin. The fire next time. Uh, the forward uh, to nothing personal is by Dr. Imani Perry. So nice little connection there. Really is what told Aaron <laughs> on reading this book is that yes. he would get to continue to read more of Imani Perry. Okay. So as always, we encourage folks to both shop local and shop black-owned bookstores. That's right. That's his favorite part. <laughs> That's right. To shop local and to shop a black-owned bookstore wherever you are, you can find. Um, independent bookstores at bookshop.org. Um, I don't have the exact date for our June book talk, but it is, what, the fourth Sunday in June? I think yeah. the third Sunday in June. The Let's last get Sunday. The last Sunday in June. Let's get that out there. The 27th. June 27th at 5 p.m. on Instagram. So please read. Oh, we're also going to purchase copies of both of these texts and donate them. So if you have 
a suggestion as to where we can donate some of our texts so folks can read along. We would love to donate them to folks who don't have access to quality books um, and would appreciate these copies and appreciate reading from the fire next time. So thank you again to our beautiful guests. I wish I could hug you up. Oh, let me just tell this quick Caleb story about the not hugging, how I held my arms out to give him a hug and he went right under them. <laughs> Meanwhile, Logan came in for the hug and Caleb was like over there talking about, I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't know what, what we're doing with that, but I'm just going to be over here. But we miss them dearly, and we can't wait to see both of you guys um, in person. So have a beautiful Sunday, and thank you again. Thank you. Take care, folks. Take care.